Hey friends, it's Corey Andrew Powell here, letting you know it's time to treat yourself with an exclusive Motivational Mondays deal at the NSLS shop. Listeners get 20% off shop-wide with the code MONDAYS. That's M-O-N-D-A-Y-S. Need a new coffee tumbler? Or perhaps you want to keep it classy with a new hardcover notebook? Well, get them on sale. Listen, with this deal, I'm tempted to trade in my bow tie collection for one of those cute NSLS hoodies. And don't forget, use code MONDAYS at checkout. That's M-O-N-D-A-Y-S. Enjoy that 20% off at shop.nsls.org. And stay motivated, leaders. Stay motivated. Where you're from, the way you speak, what you believe in, it's easy to focus on the differences between us. But my next guest has made it her mission to focus instead on what we all have in common, to bring people together, create a more inclusive workplace, and build a more productive world. This is Motivational Mondays. I'm your host, Max Erzak, and joining us is Laura Kriska. Laura, welcome to the show. Thanks, Max. Glad to be here. Awesome. In 1987, you were the first American woman to work at the Honda corporate headquarters in Japan. How did that experience put you on the mission to fight the us versus them thinking that exists across the world? So this Taihan oh wait, I'm supposed to be speaking in English. That's right. Okay. I was showing off a little bit. I do speak Japanese. I was born in Japan, but I grew up in America. But I made a huge mistake when I arrived in the Tokyo headquarters at 22. I was so excited to be there. I thought that I was going to be the next international businesswoman, but I really made a big mistake, which is a mistake I see a lot of people make. I'll say a lot of young people make because I did this, which is mistaking proximity for knowledge. So I see professionals have the false notion that proximity to people who are different means that you understand those other people and will be successful with those other people. So in my case, I was a 22-year-old American woman working in a headquarters with about 3,000 Japanese people. And I thought I knew everything I needed to know to be successful. And I didn't. In the first week, I made a huge mistake, which is related to something everybody needs to do, which is build good relationships, right? Every new professional knows that you have to build good relationships, whether you're starting your career or whether you're starting a brand new job. And the thing I didn't fully understand, Max, was that there is cultural data. Some of that data is visible. Some of it is invisible. And I was only paying attention to the visible cultural data and I was adjusting appropriately. I was using that visible data like speaking in Japanese. Obviously, I use Japanese when I was interacting with my new Japanese colleagues. But there was a lot more at play. Invisible cultural data is always at play in our workplaces and in our lives. But people fail to pay attention to it. So, What happened in my case actually has to go back to uh, me telling you that I played judo. I have a brown belt in judo. It's kind of surprising, right? If people could see me, I'm like 125 (laughs) pounds. I'm not um, scary looking at all. But in college, I spent one year in college and I was on the judo team in Japan. And there 
was a completely different way of people interacting compared to the way I had done things in America. You know, I had played basketball and volleyball, but in judo and most martial arts, there's a very rigid hierarchy. There are basically two groups of people. There are black belts and white belts. And I was a white belt and I behaved as such and black belts taught me how to do things and, and, and so on. So then fast forward to me at 22 in the Tokyo headquarters. And my first assignment is to work with 10 Japanese women. We were the executive secretariat for the 40 directors of Honda Motor Company. Most Japanese companies are set up in a similar fashion. And these young women, I had a lot in common with them. We were all young. We were single. We were excited to have these jobs. And so I thought I'd be able to build a good relationship. And I wanted a good relationship with every single one of these women. But I approached it with a kind of cultural lens that I grew up with in America. And, you know, I was polite. I was respectful. But I, and I was using Japanese, but w the mistake I made is that I failed to know that in that group of lovely Japanese women, there was a black belt office lady. She was the senior. She was the most important and everyone deferred to her except me. Why didn't I defer to her? I had no awareness that there was such thing as black belts and white belts, the hierarchy at play. I'm American. I grew up in a country where you're supposed to treat everybody the same, treat them equally. And I was equally polite. But my failure to show a slight bit of deference to her impacted our relationship in the first week and continued. And it caused a great deal of heartache for me. It made us less uh, productive in the workplace. And I could have solved that with one sentence. If I had gone into that workplace and I asked myself, what are the invisible cultural norms at play here? I could have easily identified that hierarchy mattered. I had been on a judo team. I know that hierarchy matters in a judo team, but I just didn't see it because it wasn't visible. She wasn't wearing a black belt. In fact, we all wore the exact same blue polyester uniforms. And if I had asked that question, I could have actually solved the issue with her with the following sentence. Are you ready? I, I could have simply said, I'm new here and I'd really like to learn from you when you have time, could we uh, talk or something like that? And instead of that, I just treated her as an equal. And I would go up and interrupt her and say, tell me where this is, or could you tell me that? And, and just that level of uh, treating her as an equal uh, was enough to damage our relationship in the first week. That's super interesting. How can we build meaningful relationships with people to truly get to know them. Can you actually tell us about the four stages of trust building and what needs to be done to form those bonds? Yeah, the four stages of trust are something everybody can relate to. It's stranger, acquaintance, colleague, and trusted colleague. In our lives, we go through this uh, process all the time, and most of the time we're not even aware of it. But in the workplace, it's important to be 
aware of this process and be deliberate. Because what I've noticed after working for, you know, on four continents with thousands of professionals from different backgrounds is that professional people can pretty easily go from stranger to acquaintance, acquaintance to colleague, but then they stop. They stop because there is a, a language difference or a location difference or a race, ethnic, age, gender, gender orientation, whatever it is. There's some perceived difference that stops them from moving into the trusted colleague category. And until people reach the trusted colleague category, we'll never be as productive as we need to be. And in fact, Unless we get to trusted colleague level, we put ourselves at a disadvantage because we could be making unintentional mistakes, just like I did when I went to Japan. And, and part of the reason this is so critical for young people now going out into the marketplace today is that the workplace is more diverse than ever before. And so me going to Japan is a pretty extreme example, you know, when you're 22, but that level of diversity exists in the American workplace right now. Whether you're going to be a business person or an educator or working in government, the U.S. workplace is more diverse and it's getting even more diverse. Uh, we're going to be a plurality nation, I think, in 2043. So Having an ability to see invisible cultural data is the we-building superpower. Um, and so the way you do that is through face-to-face -face interactions of increasing depth, because that's how you learn about other people. Um, I'd love to give you a practical example of that. Sure. Uh, there was a young um, American lawyer who had a client in Japan, and the Japanese client wrote uh, to him um, just an email, and it happened to be on December 24th, and said, you know, I need this, this, and this, and I need it by tomorrow morning. Well, most people in America know December 24th is Christmas Eve, and this young lawyer was really irritated and sent back this awful, very sharp-worded email to a, a client, and and the, the boss is the one who told me this story, realized that the Japanese client just simply had no idea that it was Christmas. You know, Christmas is not widely celebrated in Japan. It's not super important. People work on the 24th and the 25th. And so the young lawyer was thinking it was purposeful. But the boss could easily see that this was, you know, not a big deal and that it, it, it was not something purposeful and, and that he had to then solve the problem with the, the Japanese client and kind of smooth things over. And so this type of scheduling and issues come up in the American workplace now all the time, not just internationally. We have people from different backgrounds so that you might have somebody in your office who celebrates um, Chinese New Year or Ramadan or any number of uh, important dates. And, and so taking this into consideration when you're making plans, when you're setting deadlines, when you're asking people to be accountable for certain things. Now, I want to be clear. It doesn't mean that you look at somebody Asian and say or assume that they celebrate Chinese New Year. Not at all. But it's paying attention to the fact that your special dates, your special holidays are not necessarily the same as everybody else. And so simply asking this one additional question, 
before moving ahead. Uh, asking yourself, you know, what invisible cultural norms are at play? Um, asking your colleagues as you're agreeing to a certain date, are there any dates that are very important that we should not, you know, plan on or whatever it is? So that's the type of, um, I mean, these are relatively inconsequential examples, um, but paying attention to the fact that we have different cultural norms uh, can make the difference between success and failure in today's increasingly diverse global marketplace. In 2020, we saw incredible leaps being made in recognizing the need for diversity in the workplace. And many organizations already started to bridge those gaps. But there are still many who are reacting to the latest headlines but aren't making real changes. How can leaders push themselves beyond surface-level diversity and take it even farther to create real lasting change in their organizations? I think there's been a great amount of attention. There are more initiatives, more money is being spent, but laws, money, proximity are not going to be a long-term solution. The long-term solution to inclusion is relationships. If you belong to what I call the home team in an organization, so a home team is the one with access to power and money, um, you know, in corporate America, that tends to be uh, middle-aged, white, and male. Especially if you belong to the home team, it's important to examine your own relationships and do a personal inventory to understand what gaps exist in your own lived experience. I'd love to hear h- how can they actually do it? Because mm-hmm. I mean, one thing is really self-awareness, right? Which is already tough for people who have been in the weeds and doing things a certain way for a really long time. But yeah, I'd, I'd love to hear what can they do beyond that? One of the most important things people today can do is take the us versus them self-assessment. It's a 10-question self-evaluation that anybody can take, and you can complete it in two minutes. And it simply asks you a series of questions to measure your level of integration with a particular cultural group. And this uh, assessment gives you a score from zero to 10. It's a simple measurement. And if your score is low, it indicates that you have not spent enough face-to-face interaction with this other cultural group to be able to build relationships, build understanding that can make a difference. Us versus them thinking is more than just race or religion or even culture. Older people in the workplace are clashing with younger generations every single day. How can boomers work better with millennials? Such a great question. Boomers can easily assess themselves in relation to younger generations simply by taking the same assessment. When you go to my website, you anybody can take this assessment for free. Uh, you get to choose what cultural group you are going to measure yourself against. And it could be as large as an entire country or as small as a single person. So if a boomer is struggling with relationships or is in an organization where they're 
uh, are, you know, people much younger, uh, that person should measure themselves and figure out what are the places where they should be spending more time. So the, the assessment tries to measure how much deliberate effort you have put in to knowing this other cultural group. So I have an example of a boomer, if you'd like to hear. Absolutely. Uh, in my book, I interview a boomer who is in the music business and um, there are a lot of younger people in his organization. And rather than complain about them, he starts to try to understand them. He goes out with them for social events. He gets all the apps that they're using to, sh- to pay. Um, he then discovers that one of the young men in his office was a film studies major. And this guy, the older guy, is a big film buff. And so the younger guy and the older guy have seen all the same movies, one, because he was alive real time watching these movies, and the other because he had studied them as part of his uh, college major. But this becomes a common point for them. And they develop trust. They develop a relationship And then the older guy whose job partly is interviewing people and transcribing things, the younger guy suggests to him, rather than spending hours transcribing things, how about using this AI app? And it saves the older guy hours of work. So so they start to help each other. That's really cool. A lot of pressure has been put on companies to bring about change in society. But life is so much bigger than are nine to five. How can people add diversity to their daily lives outside of work? Yeah, it's a great question. I think the tools that I share, the whole we building message is written as a business book, but it absolutely applies to our daily lives. Um, I recently have been suggesting to people to use what I call the fresh approach. Fresh is an acronym that uh, represents avenues for building connection with people outside your familiar circles. You know, a lot of people tend to have their closest relationships with people who look like them, sound like them, pray like them. And that's a problem if you want to be successful in a diverse environment. So fresh The F is for friends and family. And this means that you utilize uh, people in your immediate circle. Um, You use a lot, utilize your children if you have them or your pets. And you try to, uh, for example, walk your dog in a different neighborhood. Uh, You go to a school function and you sit with other people. Um, If you don't have children yet, that's totally fine. But it's looking for opportunities where there are people from different backgrounds um, based on the relationships you have with your friends and family. R is for religion. Um, A lot of people uh, kind of stick to one place where they go. But what I found is that... um, Religious communities are quite open and if you're practicing the same faith. And so simply by researching a different organization, um, sorry, researching a different location that practices the same faith, which people rarely do, um, you can, again, move a little bit outside your familiar group. 
E is for eating. This is the great unifier for the world. You know, where do you eat? Where do you get your food? This is a pretty superficial starting point, but it can be an opportunity to build connection with people who are different. Just going to a different part of town outside your normal patterns to have a meal can be the starting point. Um, S is for shopping because where we spend our money also tends to be in kind of familiar way patterns. Uh, but if we do an errand, let's say you have to go to the post office, uh, get some cash, try going to a different place again, outside your norms so that you can possibly be put in a situation where you are face to face with somebody from a different cultural background. And then you try to have a conversation. And finally, H is hobbies, which is using the things that you enjoy to do. If you play soccer or, or tennis or whatever it is, uh, golf, doing that thing in a way that tries to engage more diversity. So one example is, um, I knew uh, a Japanese man who lived in America and he, uh, he was following this advice and rather than go golfing with his other Japanese buddies, you know, when you play golf, you play with four people. He went to a golf course and just waited by himself. And this is a thing people do. And, and sure enough, a group of three people came and they asked him to be the fourth. Uh, that was a pretty bold move on his part. And I don't think that these single interactions are going to make a difference. My point is that if you think of the thousands of decisions you make in a week and you just pick one of those to try to do a little differently that might put you on a path for face-to-face -face interactions of increasing depth with somebody different eventually you will find that. Eventually you'll strike up a conversation. You'll find out somebody's name. You'll see them again. And that can develop into something more meaningful. And the fact is all the laws and all the initiatives are not going to make a difference. It is relationships, trusted colleague relationships that are going to be our salvation away from division, away from fear, away from hate, and toward a multiracial coalition of a we culture where we are actually working together as one. It seems like curiosity and awareness are really at the center of a lot of what you're, you're focused on. Those are the pathways to change. How can people get better at developing these traits? I actually think a lot of people have the curiosity, but they hesitate because they're fearful of doing or saying something wrong. And what I can say for sure is that if you go into situations with two factors, if you can be honest uh, with yourself about, you know, choices you've made and you want to try to do things in a more uh, broad way, interact with other people. And if you can be humble and be willing to admit maybe you've made a mistake, then you can uh, take risks. I, I think so many people are so fearful about taking risk, but it's the silence and the unwillingness to take risks, the hesitation that has left us in the situation where we are today, which is uh, a country where we have a whole lot of Black Lives Matter signs in windows, 
but few trusted colleague relationships outside of our own racial circles. And when you go into new experiences, especially again, if you're on what I call the home team, if you can just acknowledge that you might make mistakes, be willing to apologize, seek the counsel of others, and just say with genuine, you know, uh, earnestness, I want to know more and I have not had an opportunity to learn, I, I really think that can make a huge difference. Yeah, it, it seems like vulnerability is another one of those traits that a lot of people, you know, I, I'd say especially men, right? They're taught to not be vulnerable, to always have the guard up. And that's that's systemic, right? That's really tough to to fight, especially when it's ingrained in all of us. So I'd, I'd love to see that change. Definitely. I agree with you completely. If you look at children, they don't care who they play with, right? Mm -hmm. To them, it doesn't matter where you came from, who your parents are, what you believe in. They just want to play. But somewhere along the way, as we get older, this innocent perspective of the world gets lost. Where does that mistrust come from? I think the the mistrust comes from the the failure of American culture to treat people justly and equally. Uh, and that starts, you know, around teenage years, you know, young adulthood, where the othering happens a lot, where people who might not um, subscribe or look like the cultural norm are viewed with suspicion, are not trusted simply by the because of the way they look. And so society teaches that. That's part of our systemic problem with racism. And when you belong to the home team culture, you grow up unaware of that. I certainly did. I was deeply unaware of how much race matters. Race matters to people. Uh, but when you're growing up white, as I did and I am, there's no penalty for failure to notice race. And it's only been recently that people like me are understanding more deeply how it matters and how we need to pay attention. If people wanted to learn more about you, where should they go? Well, my website is a great place to go and it's lauracriska.com. It's my name. Um, and the assessment, again, is free and on that website. Anybody can access it anytime. Um, and LinkedIn is always a good place to connect. And finally, what's some actionable advice that our listeners can apply to their lives starting today? Yeah, I would ask everybody to think about a them cultural group that is relevant to their lives, that um, they feel some distance from. They, they want to uh, build better connection because you can start taking action today. If you measure yourself two minutes with the assessment, you will get practical advice about how to start building your connection with the other group. Because, Max, I would like to say something that's very important to me. Is that okay? Absolutely. I want to inspire a we-building revolution where people take action to narrow us versus them gaps. But I cannot do this alone. I need your help. 
I need the listeners' help. We need each other uh, to move forward so that we can create a safer, more welcoming, and productive world. We'll definitely do our part. And to wrap it up, Laura, this has been eye-opening for both me and I'm sure for many of our listeners. You've taught us that differences have the power to bring us together, not pull us apart. And now it's really on us to embrace each other's uniqueness and truly make the most of it. Don't forget to grab a copy of Laura's new book titled The Business of We. Just follow the links in the description below. And we'll see you all back here again next week for Motivational Mondays. And that is a wrap. 